0: Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also a best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, I have another amazing guest. This is somebody I've seen live on stage a few times and also virtually a few times. And he's just so passionate in what he does. And that is when it comes to partnering, investing, and buying businesses. And I'm so excited to have him here because he's just so good at it. Now, not only that, he has 15 plus years of being a lawyer. He was 10 of those years, he was a partner. But then he got bit by the entrepreneurial bug, passion in business, and then went on to pursue his MBA at, at that time. Uh, he's now the founder of UK Business Capital Partners and Allied Global Engineering Limited, where they focus on acquiring engineering, manufacturing, and SME companies. Now, why is he so good? That's It's because he's so good at structuring deals so that there's the right protection. And he's so good at negotiating those deals as well. Uh, he also has a podcast called Buying and Selling Businesses show. So please welcome serial entrepreneur, global investor, and business leader, Mr. Philip Jepsen.
1: Hi, it's great to be here, and I will struggle to live up to that introduction. <laughs> <But I'll laughs> I'm give sure a, you'll do fine. <laughs> I'll give it a go. Well, first of all, thank you very much for being
0: here. Uh, for people who don't recognize or know very much about you, if you could please give us that close notes version of your past and how you became who you are today.
1: Yeah, it's quite a long past. Hang on a minute. I don't know if you can hear that. I've got helicopters flying over. So Um, it's It's quite warm in the UK at the moment. So we've got windows open, which is quite unusual for us. Um, So, yeah, uh, where where to begin? Well, as as you said, I started life as a lawyer. Um, And um, I was pretty good at it. I spent 15 years being a lawyer. I uh, went to the top of the firms that I was in. I was a partner in four different law firms in all, actually, but got bored Um, wasn't enjoying what I was doing and um, wanted a new challenge. And I'd always been interested in having a, having a business, having my own business. So uh, 2004, I did what a lot of people would do in that situation, which is start my own business. Um, and I had no idea what I was going to do actually when I quit as a lawyer I had no idea what I was going to do and it was a case of trying to find something that, that I could build on some of the stuff I'd done before but was also a new venture and I ended up starting a recruiting business a headhunting business for lawyers so set the business up and spent the next 15 years or so doing that growing the business um, And still working within the legal sector. Um, And at the same time as doing that, that's when I did my MBA. So got that. And that was fascinating. Meeting people from all around the world, for one, which I'd never really done before. And also seeing a lot of different industries, um, which, again, I hadn't really experienced before. But at the time, I didn't really know. I knew it was interesting, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And I just carried on with the business that I'd started. So that was all, you know, well and good, sailed on, get towards like 2019. And again, I've got itchy feet and I'm feeling that I want something more, something different, but had no idea again what that was. And then I got approached one day by someone who was running a course on how to buy businesses. And this was something, obviously, I knew that people did buy businesses. You read about it in the newspapers, all that kind of stuff, all these takeovers and everything. But what I hadn't realised is that people like me could do it. I always thought you needed huge pots of money to put in to make deals work and that you wouldn't be able to borrow the money to make it happen. And I just have no idea, basically. So this this, uh, guy basically opened my eyes to new possibilities. And the fact that, firstly, it's perfectly feasible to buy businesses. And secondly, that you don't really need much or any of your own money in order to do it. So I just I just knew when I saw this, I just knew that was what I wanted to do. That was going to be the next phase of my life. So uh, by then, I'd met JT Fox, my business coach. JT um, JT's very big on no fear, no excuses on making decisions, on getting on with it. And uh, all of that sort of mindset just had me ready to go. So I, I dived into it. And in 2020, uh, when the pandemic was at its height, I sold my shares in the recruitment business and went all in on the business buying journey. And it's been a, a, it's been a heck of a ride so far. <laughs> um, we've done three deals since then. Um, and in all acquired eight companies through those deals. and um, made lots of mistakes. learned a heck of a lot. and 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 we're going on building a group, a portfolio of businesses. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's been a pretty uh, pretty exciting time.
0: That, that is awesome. Uh, when it comes to it, uh, being a lawyer, so you're, what you're telling me is that all those things in in the movies, and the TV shows, that's not true? It's boring? <laughs> so boring, in fact, that you had to quit the entire industry?
1: I think, well, yeah. If you spent all your time with lawyers, you'd probably quit as well. I think <laughs> it's like any, any job. That I, one thing I've learned over the years, I don't think there's any such thing as an exciting job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all right, there are maybe one or two jobs that are just boring, full stop. But to be honest, it's more about what you make of it. You know, you could be the man who's, who sweeps the streets and yet you could actually find that a really interesting and stimulating job if your mindset is right and if if that's what you're happy doing. Um, and I think the with the lawyer thing, Well, what happens is as time goes by, you tend to specialise more and more tightly in your subject area. So you go narrower and deeper and narrower and deeper, but you get to a certain point where there's no more depth. And and what you're doing is just repeating the same stuff over and over. All right, the cases might be different. The clients might be different, but essentially you're just doing the same thing over and over again. So after a while, it loses its challenge. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, for a lot of people out there, when they get to that height of success that you've gotten as a lawyer, they're just going to coast. They're like, you know what? I'm not going to do anything different. This is great. But you want to find the next challenge. Now, some people go, I want to find that next challenge, but they are too afraid to quit completely. How did you get that mindset or uh, how was that process like for you to go? You know what? I'm just going to leave this. You didn't know what you were going to do, but you're going to find something.
1: Yeah, and I had a wife, two kids, and a mortgage as well. Um, I think I had a bit of a push, and I think often when you come across people who are standing on the edge of a big decision like that, often circumstances get involved, and they are the things which either make you do it or make you not do it. And I had a bit of a push in that um, the the firm that I was working with at the time was, it was not a very nice culture. Um, And some of the people I was working with were not very pleasant. And one day someone walked into my office, one of my fellow partners and made, said some stuff to me about basically how he thought I could, he could do my job better than I can do it. Um, was the, was the <laughs> essence of it. And that was that, that little thing was the thing which just pushed me over the edge. And I, that was just, it's like, right, okay, you think you can do the job better than me, have it. I'm out of here. <laughs> and, and and that was it. It was just something to tip, you know, to tip you over the edge. And I think that, that's what often happens in those in those sorts of situations. It's like life, life either gives you a sign that it's the right thing to do or that it's not the right thing to do. And you just go, I mean, if the universe says do it, then do
0: it was there a period of time where you sat there and goes oh what did i do
1: <laughs> did you tell yeah. your wife and your wife like oh what did you do oh yeah just yeah hi darling what did you do today i quit my job um, hi, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it, um no to be honest no i i didn't because it was the right thing i always thought it was the right thing and the same 2020 when I moved on from the business that I'd started. Again, it just felt like the time was right to do it and it was the right thing to do. And I haven't looked back on that either.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I do, I mean, yeah, sometimes you make decisions and you do have regrets, but you can't go back. I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of things. One is you can't go back. And the other is, you can never know what would have happened if you'd made a different decision, Mm -hmm. you know, because once you've walked through the door, that's it. So there's no point in, there's no point in dwelling on it. You've just got to move on. You've done what you've done. You've decided what you decided. Get a grip, (laughs) get a grip and and move forward. Right. Because otherwise well, what do you, you do? You sit there miserable because you didn't do something else. But the thing is that your, your biggest mistakes are the things which teach you the biggest lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I made a big mistake in 2021, which was with, with the second acquisition that we made. Uh, I mean, but I can look back now. We shouldn't have done that deal. On the terms that were on the table, the way that the thing went, we should have walked away. We didn't. We did the deal, and it's caused me a whole load of grief. Um, But I've learned so much (laughs) Um, that I would never have learned, and it sets you up then for the next thing. So the next time you're not going to make those mistakes. You know, how do you learn? You learn from, well, best of all, you learn from other people's mistakes, but often you've got to learn from your own mistakes. And so, again, it's the JT sort of mindset of no regrets. You've done what you've done. You've got to move forward and learn. And it's all about, it's about that. I mean, the people that I know, admire, and respect all have the same mindset, mm-hmm. which is every day is new, every day is different, every day there's something to learn. We're all on a journey, and we, we want to find out what comes next. You know, I spent last weekend in Chicago um, with a multi-billionaire, um, almost literally sat at his feet. And, and he took, he, the, the, he's in his 60s, in his, in his mid-60s, and he has billions of dollars, you know, more money than most of us could dream about, apart from JT, who can <laughs> obviously dream about very big things. But, and he talked about his journey. You know, he talked about what he was going to do next and how his life and his businesses were going to develop. And he's now doing the biggest deals of his life. And it's not because he needs to. It's that mindset of, of every day a step forward, every day something new to learn. And that's, that's what I believe in. And that's what I admire in others.
0: Now, when you transitioned over to entrepreneurship, becoming a business owner, what about business excites you then?
1: That is so that is so hard to answer because I could <laughs> say it. I could say everything. Um I think yeah, it's that's really that's really, really tough to answer. Um because what I suppose one is it's a challenge. Every day it's a challenge. You know, every day there's something to mm-hmm. deal with, some problem to solve. So I guess. <laughs> As a left brainer, which, yeah, I get constantly reminded of, as a left brainer, I should probably say that it's about solving problems and challenges. Mm -hmm. And if I was a right brainer, I'd say it's about the creative art and being creative to grow the business. And the truth is, it's a bit of both. Mm -hmm. It, It is, there's lots of problem solving, there's lots of challenges. And there are lots of opportunities to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I suppose the other side of it is people. Because I I like, I mean, it's nice sometimes to have a bit of quiet time on your own, but I like people. I like dealing with people. I like helping people, developing people and business at its heart is also all about people, whether you're big, small, you know whatever I mean one one of our big customers in the business we just acquired is JCB, which is you know a multinational company it's probably the largest company that I've ever dealt with. but once you get into it, you're dealing with people mm-hmm. even at a company like that that you, you know when you pick up the phone or when you email you're contacting a human being
2: yeah
1: and you're trying to do stuff which is going to help them and help you and you're trying to work together And it so it's the that side of it as well the the people side but it's and i suppose then it's like the whole lot fused together it's all of those things in one which for me is is fascinating plus Mm -hmm. It's the the other big thing for me, actually, is being in control of my own destiny. Right. Um, because I like the freedom. All right. You're always working for somebody. You yeah. know, this, yeah. this notion of being totally free is, <laughs> is nonsense because even if you work for yourself, you've got customers. Right. You, you know, you, so you've got still got to deliver stuff on time to spec, on budget and all that um but as a business owner you do have quite a lot of scope and latitude about how you do things so that's that's feeling that sense of control and ownership is a big thing as well for me um yeah. so yeah
0: yeah so there's a lot of different businesses out there and when people go oh I want to go buy businesses uh it might be oh let's go buy a franchise let's go buy uh, something that's well known already uh, but you've chosen the, the path of engineering, manufacturing, S- SMEs. Yeah. Uh, is there a specific reason why that's your target?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, in terms of the business size, I like small businesses. And actually, in, in places like the UK, the US, Europe as well, um, small businesses are the heart of the economy. They, they make up the vast majority of enterprises and they add a huge amount of value to, to the economy. Um, and there's a huge variety of shapes and sizes of them, but small businesses are, are really interesting little creatures. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not, I don't like big faceless organisations. I could never work for a big faceless organisation. I don't particularly want to own one um so yeah it's a bit of the the spirit of entrepreneurship that you get in small businesses i really like um plus as an as a buyer particularly someone like me coming into it to begin with the reality is you can't just go out and buy a big business you you can't do it you don't have the credibility you don't have the track record so you've got to start small um so What a lot of people who do what I'm doing tend to do is they'll start with a small business. Some people stay at that sort of level. Some people then go on and try and buy bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's a great place to start. Um, The engineering and manufacturing thing, that just happened, really. Um, When I started, I wasn't looking for a particular industry or particular sector. The test was do I look at this business and think, oh, that's interesting? Um, And as I saw more and more businesses, it was the businesses which make things, which make physical things, which were the ones that got me interested. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because of my background, firstly as a lawyer, services business, then as a recruiter, services business, I'd never worked in a business that actually made physical products. So then when you go out and see the see what these businesses are capable of doing, I just found it fantastic. I just really loved the stuff that they could make. Mm. And so I just got more and more interested in those kinds of businesses. And then once you've bought one, it makes sense to... to then get something similar. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, built on the J.T. Fox principles, what we're doing is building an ecosystem. Um, And it's, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's hard actually, because manufacturing, engineering is very competitive. Um, and getting these businesses to succeed and grow and make money is quite a challenge. And it's it's partly because of the, the competition from overseas, particularly Far East, China, yeah. where a lot of the more routine-type manufacturing you know, moved out there. Right now is a, the best time that there has been for a while because of the problems with global shipping um, and still some of the lockdowns that are going on in China. It's, it's not as easy as it was for people to import from there. So they're looking for more local suppliers. So there is a bit of an opportunity right now, but it's certainly not an easy market, that's for sure. No, um,
0: as you were saying before, uh, you had to like, when you first started, you're looking at the smaller companies. Now, again, smaller companies don't have the cachet, they don't have the brand, they don't have the uh, large market or whatnot. But you still need to go through your due diligence to make sure, okay, this is the company I'm going to buy and it's going to have a good back end to it or a good potential to it. What do you specifically look for in small companies that you go, okay, these are the targets or these are the items or elements that allows me to put my money into it?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, Firstly, we're, we're focusing on retirement sales. So we're looking for businesses that are well-established in the market that are profitable so they've got customers you know, decent customers they've got established revenue streams um, and they have some people inside the business that can run it day to day it may be only one person but in a smaller business that may be all you need but we're not looking to buy something that we've then got to micromanage. We want to buy it, have it self-manage, and then we can put in the strategy. And so um, that's the key. The key elements are that it's making money, that it has an infrastructure that looks like it can support itself. Um, And say it's got established customers. I mean, ideally you want something that's growing but a lot of them, are, a lot of them are not, because what happens is the owners, after a while, it gets to a size where it's giving them the lifestyle they want, and then when it hits that level, they just ease off and let it coast along. Mm-hmm. So the other, the other key thing we're looking at is potential. It's yes, this is what it's doing now, but if we get in there, what's the potential in that business? So, um, the advantage of an established business over a startup is that you've already got customers, you've already got revenue, um, you've already got established market sectors, So you know that there is a business there. That's, that's the advantage of doing it. And um, the disadvantage is that you've got to, you have got to get to grips with this creature, which already exists and understand it. And you can't just build it from the ground up how you want. So for example, culture is, a, is something you've got to think about. Uh, what's the culture in the business? Um, and the last two acquisitions that we've done, they've been quite, I'd say, relatively sizable businesses, one 4 million turnover, one 2 million turnover. But when you get inside them, there's no real structures. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, They basically had bosses that shouted at people and told them what to do. (laughs) (laughs) So, no real management structure. And you, the part of the due diligence is is understanding that so that you know what you're getting, because you can deal with most things as long as you know what you're getting. Yeah. Um, So, culture, again, is, is quite an important. Mm -hmm. thing at least so you can understand what you're starting with but that that's really the essence of it is you know is it is it a decent functioning economic unit right now and then has it got potential to grow um does it add to our ecosystem is now because now we've got some businesses in there it's thinking okay so is this another piece in our jigsaw um what does it add to the pot um, which is yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting because there's quite a variety of businesses out there. So you've got lots of opportunities for directions of growth, whether it's geographic, mm-hmm. whether it's speciality, whether it's type of customer, or whatever. So it is um, yeah, it's it's interesting.
0: Now, when you when you acquire a business, uh, one of the things that you need to do is jump in there. And then start inflicting some changes and implementing different systems and whatnot and as you said before there's an existing group of people who's already there sometimes they've they've already grown accustomed to, to certain cultures to certain systems and all that kind of stuff and then this new guy comes in and goes no you need to do this no you need to change this how do you navigate through that type of uh potentially conflict because they go we don't want to do that kind of thing
1: yeah That's one of the biggest challenges, actually, because, and this is some of the, some of the mistakes that I've made have been around this in, in trying to change too much too soon. Um, And it's a really difficult balance to strike um, because there's, there's two things really. One is, one's the, the attitudes of people, which is what you talked about. And the other is the law of unintended consequences, because until you really, it may may be a relatively small business, but they're all quite complex. And you change one thing and then that will impact on other things across the business. So until you've got to the point where you really understand how it all works, any change you make is a risk because of the knock on. Effects. And, um, you know, we swore before this most recent acquisition that this time we'd sit back, not do anything for three months, just soak it all in. But it's like you can't help yourself. You, you, know, you, <laughs> you start, you start itching. <laughs> yeah, that is so blatantly wrong that I'm just going to change it. And then you start getting the phone calls saying, this doesn't work anymore. What's what's happened? We why can't we do this anymore? And you suddenly think, oh no, because I've changed this over there. That's not that's caused this problem over here. Um but yeah, I, I say on that, you've just got to, I think that's just experience. You just learn that mm-hmm. stuff. With the people side, actually, often the people are quite relieved to see some changes because. With some of the things that go on in these businesses, the people who work there can see how stupid
2: <laughs>
1: it is. Because they're at the shop, you know, they're the ones on the shop floor. They're the ones who who are impacted by these stupid rules or the failure to provide basic equipment or whatever. So if you come in and say, Oh, right, well, don't worry, we're going to change that, and now you can have this, they think, great, finally, someone someone sees the problems so um you 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 come across a little bit of oh no that's not how we do it around here but
2: mm.
1: not as much as that as you would think actually because as long as you're being sensible about what you want to change and what you want to put in the important people who are the guys at the sharp end they can see it's a good idea mm. um so That's, you know, that's, that's okay. But yeah, I mean, change, the biggest thing, I think the biggest challenge with change is getting people to understand that change is a constant. It's not like we're going to come in, we're going to make a few changes and then that's it. Change is a process. It's ongoing. It never stops. Um, And in fact, the pace of change is just increasing. So Mm -hmm. that's, it's more getting people into that mindset about change that's the challenge rather than getting them to accept that the first raft of things you do is a good idea. Um, but, yeah, again, it's part, of the,
0: it's part of the fun. Is it often that the previous owner still wants to be involved in some capacity or is that something that you're not usually uh,
1: susceptible to? I'm open-minded mm-hmm. um, I think previous owners is a in some ways actually handling that aspect of it is more difficult than just about anything else. <laughs> um, and And the reason is this: there's a um, people think that you need to keep the previous owners around for a while. To get the transition you know transition the customers transition the business and all this make the staff feel comfortable but if you think right so you, you think about your business so you decide to sell your business and the new people arrive and they say okay well we want you to stick around for 12 months while while we transition it, and you go, okay, well, 12 months doesn't sound like too long, and I'm getting paid, so that'll be okay. And then by the second week or the third week, they start to change stuff. And these are things which you have done in a particular way, because you think that's the best way. Mm -hmm. New people are coming in and undoing it all. All your hard work, (laughs) it's all been taken down bit by bit. Mm -hmm. And You So you begin to feel resentful because it's embarrassing because either either you were right and it was the best way of doing it and so what they're doing now is not as good, which frustrates you, or you were wrong and they found a better way of doing it, in which case you feel embarrassed because you feel like an idiot because you never realised that their way was the way you should have been doing it all along. So either way, you get tension between the new regime and the old regime so my my starting point now is that where an owner wants to retire um, we should get them out the door as soon as possible and that's not being ruthless it's as much for their benefit as it is for ours and it and it just clears the decks um, obviously, you know, there's certain things they need to hand over, but subject to that, let them go, let them retire. Um, if there's someone who wants to stay and be part of the new world, that's different. So, for example, in our most recent acquisition, there were three owners before. One of them, who is the, the youngest of the three, has stayed. He's kept 25% of the shares in the business, and he's now our partner, and we're moving forward together to grow and develop the business. And that's brilliant because he gives us continuity. He's not tied to how it was all done in the past. And from the point of view, the customers, they recognise him, um, and he's got a lot to contribute, heck of a lot to contribute. So that is brilliant. Um, there's another similar one we're talk, where we've, we're talking at the moment where, again, if we do a deal, the, own, the current owner will probably keep 20 or 25%. And in that one, he wants to do product development. Um, and he's not got time to do it at the moment because he's having to run the business day to day, so he doesn't have time to sit in his shed and come up with all these fantastic new products. Mm-hmm. So, again, that could work really well for a completely different reason. So... Yeah, so I think if someone says, I'd like to stick around for a bit, that's okay as long as they're going to be part of moving the business forward. Right. They're brought into that. But other than that, if they want to retire, let them go.
0: Right. Now, for for somebody like yourself who's going in and buying businesses, uh, during the last couple of years now, Lots of businesses have not done well because of the global pandemic and whatnot. So how did you protect yourself from from any downfall of this pandemic and potentially future ones?
1: Well, future ones, there's not a lot we can do Um, (laughs) other than hope that the drugs are good. But the first deal we did was May 2020, which in the UK was kind of the height of the first wave so largely people were working at home although with engineering obviously you can't work at home so had to go into the workshop the way the way that we protected ourselves at that stage because it was a bit early we didn't really know how it was all going to go it was through the deal structure so we just did a deal structure that basically said look if the revenue hits this level we'll pay you that much if the revenue is higher we'll pay you more so we agreed the price for the business, but then there was variables depending on what happened with the levels of business. And that essentially that worked out, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we did the second deal in 2021, 20, we knew how the world was going um, although actually raw materials prices proved to be a bit of an issue with that with that deal and the profitability of the business but Essentially, the engineering and manufacturing market was already recovering quite strongly by then, so that that was okay. Um, that sector in the UK has actually done well. I mean, it sounds a bit bizarre, but it's actually done well out of COVID because the, the fact that the Far East was closed down meant that the demand the domestic demand for what these businesses do has gone up significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, So most businesses had a really good year in 2021, and probably will have an even better year in 2022. Although, of course, now we've got a whole, (laughs) we've got a whole other raft of of problems with inflation Mm -hmm. um, and um, fuel prices, um, strikes, and now the war in Ukraine, so, you know, which nobody <laughs> saw coming.
0: Right, so when it comes to all these different uh, external effects that you have to go in and potentially uh, pivot and change systems to adjust for things, do you give, it? how much time do you give something for, for the business to adjust to before you go, okay, let's scrap that, we're gonna need to try something else?
1: Mm. I think the answer to that depends on how much cash you've got in the business. Um, cash is the lifeblood of a of a company. So the, the bigger the cash reserve that you have, the more time you have to be able to review and make decisions. Mm. Um, it's one of the challenges with small businesses. Sometimes is you don't always have the cash reserves you would like to have. So, hence you have to react more quickly. Um, but in that sort of context, cash equals time, and that you know that's the benefit of having cash. It buys you time, and it also allows you the luxury of making a, a mistake or two along the way. Because in business, mistakes cost you money. Mm-hmm. That's the feedback you get. <laughs> no. um, so yeah, it really does depend on 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 your reserves. But I mean, and I mean, the quicker you can respond and react, um, then obviously the better position you'll be in. But you don't always know. Mm-hmm. It's always easy with hindsight, but at the time when you're in the middle of the situation, you don't always know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So. The best advice I was ever given on this, or I ever read on this, was where you're in that that sort of situation where things are changing around you and it's uncertain. Um, then what you do is you make you make a small move in the direction that you think is the right direction, mm-hmm. see what happens, and then reevaluate. And if it looks like that's gone okay, then you can make a bit of a bigger move in the same direction and then see what happens. So rather than just committing 100% right, we're going that way. Because then obviously, if you're wrong, you've got a problem. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's very,
1: very true. Um, going back to the very
0: beginning, you, you mentioned that one of the things that you didn't realize was that buying businesses may not require a whole lot of money. Or yeah. capital. Um, why is that? And how do you structure your deals so that you could potentially be in with no money in?
1: Yep. Okay. Um the well, first thing to say is that obviously the better the business is, i.e., the more profitable it is, and the bigger it is, then the more it'll cost. That's just that's just common sense. So one thing you can do as a new buyer is find a business that is not massively profitable right now, but you can see the potential mm. in it because that will reduce the price. So uh, that that's sort of step number one is having a look for things like that. It's like taking fruit that's not quite ripe yet. <laughs> um, And then on top of that, it's a case of then of being able to borrow money. Mm. Plus uh, there's... There's two elements to it. there's there's being able to borrow money and then there's persuading the people who are selling the business to take part of the price over a period of time. So in the US they call it seller finance. Um, it's a combination of those of those two things really. Um, in terms of borrowing money, then business anyone who's going to lend you money wants to have it secured. Right. just like when you when you buy a house um so the businesses that are easier to look at are the ones that have got assets so actually product businesses are easier than services businesses from that point of view because they've got planter machinery mm. which is something solid that you can use for collateral the other thing you can use for collateral is the accounts receivable mm-hmm. the money that's owed by customers to the business so um, the deals that we've done so far have been funded by a combination of those, those those, things, really, which is one, seller finance, two, the accounts receivable using that as collateral, and then third, using the physical assets and machinery as collateral. Um, debt is cheaper than equity, in the long run anyway. Um, but equity, if you can find equity investors, equity is cheaper in the short run from, from a cash flow point of view. Mm-hmm. So it's like pick your poison. Do you want to take the pain up, up front having to pay interest or do you want to take the pain at the end when you have to give a percentage of the business away? Yeah. Um, we're just doing a deal at the moment, which is our first deal with equity investors. Um, and the reason the reason for doing that was simply, this is a good business. it is quite profitable, and the people who are selling it wanted quite a lot of money up front, more than we could raise, either from our own resources or from the bank. So equity investors was where we had to go. And it's been an interesting exercise. Um again, we've learned a lot by doing it. So um, we're just waiting to see now whether we can complete the deal, mm-hmm. and then that'll be the start of another another journey working with equity partners.
0: Awesome. congratulations on that, and I look forward to hearing all that all the great news you're gonna get from there. Um, I know you speak all over the world team, you've seen you speak on stage a few times. Um, if you were put back on the world stage, and you have a few minutes to tell the world something so that the world will remember Philip for, what would that message be? I think that, what would that message be?
1: For me, I think the message, the message is that small businesses can change the world. Small business is what it in, in free market economies small business is what our economies are built on and also businesses that make things are really important because that's the only real value creation in the economy i mean services businesses don't they don't create anything real so taking taking something that is a raw material and making it into a finished product is an act of creation, it's an act of value creation as well as anything else and having businesses that do that is so important in any economy so my message would be that these we need to look after these businesses, There's small businesses in general but particularly businesses which make physical things and In a way, the more advanced our economy is, the more important they are. And the more important it is not to just give it all away to the bargain basements of the world. Um, And we need to nurture these businesses. We need to support them. And we need to value them because they add a huge amount to to the place we live in. So I think that would, be my, that would be my message is get behind small business and get behind manufacturers because um, it's this unintended consequences thing. Again, if they, if they disappear, then lots of unpleasant things will happen that could have been avoided um, if, if we'd only appreciated what these things are and what they're worth. Right. Cool. Oh, that's uh, yeah,
0: very very important. It does. It is the lifeblood of a lot of comu- communities, and uh, it provides lots of jobs as well. So yeah, small businesses is, is something that's very very important. Um, I I know you're you're a very busy person, and our time has gone very very fast here. But before I let you go, I got a few quick questions. Rapid fire. Just gonna be the first thing that comes to mind. Yep. Okay. You're stranded on desert island, and you get to eat one food for the rest of your life
1: with no consequence. What would that be? it would be some kind of pastry. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, the reality is you get bored, but, um, yeah. Pano raisin. <laughs> I
0: you say pastries. When I, when I was in Europe, um as a tourist, you go into a baker, uh, a bakery and you go, oh, look, there's a croissant. I'm going to have a croissant. And they're like, those are all the stuff that you shouldn't get. I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly.
1: Well, you did say no consequences, so.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Um, Hollywood calls and go, hey, we want to do a biopic on you. Who would you cast to play you? Oh. Tom Hanks. Awesome. Tom Hanks shows up at your door and goes, Hey, guess what? I got casted to play you. Let's get to know each other. Let's hang out. And he goes, but wait, I'm I'm really hungry. So, what's
1: that special dish that you could prepare for Tom Hanks? But Tom, um, actually, the thing, the thing which I, the thing which I've made, which I've enjoyed the most and been most proud of, has been my beef Wellington. Ah, nice. Um, The only thing is that I'm not sure whether Tom, I I can't remember whether Tom eats meat or not, but let's hope. (laughs) Let's hope he does, and I'll make him a beef Wellington. Uh, If not, it's his loss. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make him a vegetable Wellington.
0: If you were in the Olympics, and you get to win the gold medal, which event would that be?
1: 400 meters. Because I think that's about the toughest event. Very specific.
0: Nice. Um, If you were... If, uh, do you have a special talent that not many people know that you're, you could perform if asked to be
1: to asked? I wish. <laughs> um, now, I think my the thing what I've discovered over the years is there's is that I'm quite good at a lot of things, but I'm not amazing at any one thing. If you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think I could. I mean, if if the talent I most wish that I had is is to be able to sing properly and play guitar properly and mm-hmm. i'd be out i'd be a rock star <laughs> we'll, we'll
0: see if you, you'll be able to uh, do that someday you just have to start right <laughs> <laughs> i tried it it didn't work uh and my last thing is first of all give me a number from one to five. Three, five three one two three so how is success similar to golf <laughs>
1: i hate golf Um, (laughs) well actually no i have success similar to golf the answer is this that it's about it's about practice and hard work Mm -hmm. the thing with golf so i'm told is you've got to be consistent and it's not about one it's not about there's no point in being brilliant at putting if you can't drive and there's no point being brilliant at driving if you can't put. So y- you've got to have a good all around game. You've got to be consistent. You've got to work at it. You've got to practice. And then on top of that, you've got to be able to get yourself out of those situations where you land in a bunker mm. or you go into the water or you go into the rough. Because however good you are, stuff like that's going to happen. So you've got to be able to deal with those those difficult situations um, without falling to pieces um, and try not to get the yips. Um, <laughs> Nicely done. So that's how success is like golf.
0: Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, uh, get to know more about what you do, see how you can help them out and whatnot, uh, what's the best way to reach out?
1: Um, good place to find me is on LinkedIn. That's where, that's the sort of the core of my, branding, whatever you want to call it, positioning, you'll find me on LinkedIn um, or um, or the website mm-hmm. um, which is alliedglobalengineering.co.uk Okay,
0: and then also uh, any last words that you want to share?
1: This has been fun. Um, it's been great to talk to you. You've asked some brilliant questions. You've really sort of brought me out so Now, the last thing I'd like to say is thank you very much for that. You've been a great interviewer and uh, I've had fun.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. I've learned a lot from you. And also, I love hearing your stories uh, because those really allow me to think about what I'm doing and how I can apply those lessons learned from you. So thank you very much. And for everybody else, make sure you connect with Philip here. And uh, also, until next time, today is the day to unlock your peak potential. Well, I'll see you later.